Welcome to Business Line's State of the Economy podcast, where you will find insight, analysis, and the story behind the numbers. Hi, all. Welcome to Business Line's State of Economy podcast. The topic for today's discussion is the next WTO ministerial conference, which is scheduled in February 2024 in Abu Dhabi, UAE. So, ministerial conferences are always exciting because you know a ministerial conference is the topmost decision making body of the wto and trade ministers from every country so after uh, you know almost every 2 years they come together for these ministerials and they take various decisions where they are able to reach a consensus and this consensus making process is what everybody is focused on so i have with me today professor abhijit das international trade expert and former head of center for wto studies who will help us understand more about the forthcoming wto mc 13 and the state of play of things welcome professor das thank you amiti and thank you hindu business line for inviting me to this podcast so uh, to begin with can you just help us identify say five important issues that india should be pursuing at uh, the ministerial conference the 13th one amiti at the forthcoming 13th ministerial conference of the wto there are many issues that would be at the negotiating table for the ministers to take decisions from india's perspective the five key issues uh, that need to be pursued are the following number 1 reviving the appellate body as you would be aware the united states has rendered the appellate body which is uh, the second tier of the dispute settlement system at the wto totally non functional consequently it's no longer the rule of law which prevails at the wto it's really the rule of might is right now this is not uh, beneficial for developing countries including india so one of the most important priorities uh, should be to revive the appellate body the second priority should be to work towards the permanent solution to the problem of public stock holding for food security purposes we have an assurance from the bali ministerial conference as well as the nairobi ministerial conference that wto members will work towards it it has been uh, close to a decade still we have not seen a solution to this problem so this is something we should expect india to pursue third issue pertains to fishery subsidies where as you would recall at the last ministerial conference which was held in geneva in june 2022 the wto membership could uh, agree to only a partial agreement on fishery subsidies and an important aspect of fishery subsidies which is called subsidies that contribute to overfishing and overcapacity disciplines could not be agreed on this so called okof pillar it would be in the interest of india and many other developing countries to seek strong disciplines on subsidies to industrial fishing and at the same time seek special and differential treatment carve outs for developing countries the fourth issue would be getting lifted the moratorium on customs duties on electronic transmissions just to recall from 1998 onwards the wto membership has at each ministerial conference agreed to temporarily extend this moratorium on customs duties on electronic transmissions what is the scope of this moratorium is not yet clear what gets covered by the moratorium is not clear but what is very clear is that this moratorium on customs duties on electronic transmissions 
is largely adversely impacting developing countries. They are losing revenue. They are losing policy space. The commitments on tariff concessions in the GATT schedules made during the Uruguay round, that is getting undermined for digital uh, goods that are transmitted electronically. So this issue, to my mind, should be at the forefront of the government. And finally, when it comes to the issue of WTO reform, then it would be in the interest of India to pursue retaining policy space or creating additional policy space for developing countries to pursue catch-up industrialization policies. And this must figure prominently in the discussions on WTO reform. So Amiti, to my mind, these should be India's five key priorities at the Abu Dhabi MC13. Right, Professor Das, you mentioned the dispute settlement body. So it has been defunct for very long. And we see that, you know, a lot of bilateral discussions taking place on disputes and countries threatening each other with uh, retaliatory duties. And you just mentioned might is right. That is what has become the motto now. So what is the present state of play on DSU reforms? Do you think there is a chance of AB of the, the appellate body revival? Because the EU was also taking a lot of initiative, uh, trying to look for an alternative mechanism. So what is happening? When it comes to reviving the appellate body, this issue and many other issues around uh, reform of the dispute settlement mechanism are being discussed in an informal process. This informal process is led by a diplomat from Guatemala, but effectively it's the United States which is doing the backseat driving. The informal uh, discussions on DSU reform are being held in considerable secrecy. There is very little information which is in public domain. But whatever little appears to be in public domain seems to suggest that reviving the appellate body is certainly not a priority of the United States. To the contrary, the United States would be happy if the appellate body remains in a limbo forever. Instead, attempts are being made to replace the appellate body with an alternate mechanism, which would give more elbow room to the powerful players through diplomacy to resolve disputes. So we are likely to see, or attempts are being made, to replace a rules-based system with a system that is more oriented towards diplomacy for dispute resolution, or even a system that is akin to the investor to state dispute settlement mechanism, which uh, we have seen in uh, international investment dispute arbitration. And uh, that ISDS mechanism is plagued with a large number of problems. But despite those problems, some of the developed countries are very keen to push though that type of a mechanism at the WTO. And to my mind, it really is not in the interest of developing countries to let these informal discussions continue the way they are doing. Discussions have to be made more inclusive, more participative, more transparent. And these uh, discussions should now shift to the dispute settlement body in a formal process that will uh, bring more information into the public domain, that will also seek to provide an opportunity to as many developing countries as possible 
to make submissions, to have their voices heard at this juncture. We don't even know whether the developing countries' voices are being heard. So it's a very, very closed-door type of a discussions mm-hmm. which are happening. And uh, there is a very high likelihood that the outcomes are going to be skewed against the interests of a large number of developing countries. So that is my mm-hmm. apprehension on uh, appellate body revival and the DSU reform process. So, uh, Professor Das, you mentioned uh, the ISDS, the Investor State Dispute Settlement Thing. So, this is something which India has been opposing even in its bilateral FTA discussions with many countries. So, what should India be ideally doing in this situation where you, you're saying that uh, there is very little traction towards revival of the DSB at the moment? So, what role can India play in this kind of a situation? Let me... Uh make a fine tuning. While appellate body revival is not figuring prominently in these informal discussions, I still think amongst developing countries, there's a huge interest, huge traction in getting the appellate body revived. And if these informal discussions now become formalized at the DSB, and that is what US and other developing countries are afraid of. Voices will become louder, they will become clearer that the main priority should be revival of the appellate body. And in order to suppress these voices, the discussions are being kept informal. So it really is in the interest of India and other developing countries to get uh, the discussions moved into a formal mode, as well as come out clearly, collectively, loudly that for us, revival of the appellate body is the main priority in DSU reform. Of course, we can expect some changes to the appellate body. It's no one's case that the appellate body was functioning perfectly. There were shortcomings. These shortcomings can and should be addressed. But Mm -hmm. having said that, we should not be throwing the baby out with the bathwater and uh, not reviving the appellate body. So India has to join hands with other countries to get the appellate body revived. Right. You mentioned the need for a permanent solution to the public stockholding issues. And you said that actually been uh, lingering for over a decade. So I think the first time where we came close to a solution was the Bali ministerial where we had this peace clause. And then we have had so many ministerials after that. We had Nairobi, then we had uh, one in Buenos Aires and then when we had one in Geneva. So I was wondering, what is it about the issue that is preventing you know, a solution to come up? So why are the developed countries holding back and not basically putting all their might to get a resolution to an issue which is so, so, so important to developing nations for their food security? Amiti, the answer is not very far to seek. The developed countries have created a system which has served their interests. More often than not, on most issues, developing countries have been left to be satisfied with crumbs. The issue of public stockholding is no different. While for developing countries, this is an issue of food security, this is an issue of livelihood. For most of the developed countries, this is an issue of accessing markets in developing, large developing countries like India, Indonesia, etc. to sell their wheat and rice and similar other products. So they will create problems any which way they can to make sure that developing countries, particularly the larger developing countries, their agriculture does not thrive. And instead, these countries are uh, made to become overwhelmingly dependent 
on imports of food grains. So that is the commercial reality which we have to understand. And you're very right that uh, at the Bali Ministerial Conference in 2013, then at the General Council decision in November 2014, then at the Nairobi Ministerial Conference in 2015, there was a very clear articulation of the need to arrive at the permanent solution to the problem of public stock holding for food security purposes. But uh, despite repeated proposals by developing countries, including one before the Geneva Ministerial Conference, which was supported by, I would say, close to 70 developing countries, including the G33 and the African group. We are seeing no progress on this issue. And the reasons may not be very far to seek. Let me give you two or three very important reasons. If we look at the outcome of the last ministerial conference held in Geneva, there was not a single mention of public stockholding issue. Now, that doesn't mean that the PSH is off the table, but it does give a very clear signal that at the last ministerial conference, India acquiesced to an outcome where uh, PSH was did not find a single mention. Then if we look at the outcome document of the recent senior officers meeting, which was held in Geneva in uh, October, 23rd and 24th October, then what the SOM summary report mentions is starting negotiations on a large range of uh, issues related to agriculture on the basis of Article 20 of the AOA. This actually amounts to jettisoning the existing mandate on the public stockholding issue, jettisoning the progress made on it and starting afresh. And linked with this is the attempt by the United States to divert attention and say that, hey, look, PSH is not the only way of addressing food security. There are other ways of addressing food security, including through imports, particularly yeah. of genetically modified products. So here really is the commercial interest of United States uh, surfacing very, very clearly. Mm -hmm. And the way this is sought to be done is to put PSH on the back burner and divert attention, focus discussions on supposedly other ways of addressing food security. Right. Other ways will really promote the commercial interests of the United States. So we have also often heard this argument from the US against the MSP, the Minimum Support Price Program of India, saying that, you know, it could be one of the reasons why global prices, food prices are going up, particularly rice. So what is the logic behind these things? Because clearly India has said, you know, it repeatedly that the public stockholding thing is not exported. So why is this kind of scene being created that the MSP could actually be detrimental to food security of other countries? Actually, without MSP, food security of other countries, particularly rice-dependent countries, will get jeopardized for the very simple reason that India is a large consumer of rice and rice is a commodity which is very thinly traded internationally. Very little of the uh, domestic production of countries comes onto the international market. So can you imagine a situation where there is shortage of rice in India and India goes to international markets to procure rice? Two things will happen. Prices in the international markets will shoot up and there'll be a huge scarcity of rice. So while India may be able to procure rice internationally, smaller countries, smaller developing countries, which are dependent on rice as their staple, they will find it very difficult to meet their food security. So India's minimum support price scheme for rice and wheat not only is uh, supporting the food security and livelihood of Indian farmer, Indian poor, 
It is also making sure that India does not have to go to the international market to procure rice and wheat. And in a way that enhances availability of food stocks, which other countries can procure. So to my mind, MSP is in India is serving India's food security needs as well as mm -hmm. food security needs of many other developing countries. So we have to keep batting on the front foot here, right? Because MSP, as you pointed out, is not only good for our country, but it also brings about food security in other countries who may be in need, right? Professor Das, you mentioned, you know, very interesting thing that the whole issue of public stockholding, which is of such prominence right from 2013, there was no mention of it in the ministerial conference declaration in Geneva, the previous one, MC12. So, yes. So that brings me to this question that, you know, what happens in these ministerial meetings and how are these declarations brought about? So because we they are usually so non-transparent non that before we have the declaration, there is just no idea what is going to be there. So why is there this sheen of secrecy which shrouds the ministerials? We have to understand that the outcome at a ministerial meeting is really a two-step process. In the first step, the draft declaration is sought to be negotiated by the ambassadors and delegates in Geneva. And on most issues, normally a consensus does emerge. A few handful of issues that are left, they are sought to be resolved at the ministerial conference by the ministers. Now, problem arises when uh, the text that gets negotiated in Geneva does not fully reflect or does not largely reflect the prevailing sense amongst the WTO members. It is very possible, as we have seen in the past, that views of the developed countries get greater prominence, the interests and the perspectives of developing countries are downplayed. And that becomes a recipe for a very difficult ministerial conference. Recall the Doha ministerial conference where uh, India really had to battle very, very hard, literally till the last minute to get something for itself. And the main reason for uh, that problem was that the draft ministerial text, which was transmitted from Geneva to Doha, that did not reflect the position of different countries on various issues accurately. It gave prominence to the position of the developed countries. Now, if this process gets repeated for the forthcoming Abu Dhabi ministerial conference, then I'm afraid we will see very, very difficult negotiations taking place at Abu Dhabi. So cognizant of the non-inclusive, non-transparent processes that happen at the ministerial conference and in the preceding process in Geneva, India and many developing countries have raised their concerns on these issues. They have made submissions. And if uh, the WTO is truly a democratic institution, which it proclaims to be, then these voices, these concerns on procedural issues around ministerial conferences should be addressed. So far, they have not been addressed. These problems are festering. These problems are lingering. And they do nothing to enhance the credibility of the system. They impede the developing countries in achieving their objectives. And they only add layers upon layers of non-transparency. And who benefits? Clearly, the developed countries. 
So we just went through so many layers of discussions which happen at the ministerial conference and the processes and, you know, the plethora of issues that are to be dealt with there. But if there is one single message for India at MC13 to just put everything in a nutshell, what should that be? I always have just one message for India, which is that making thundering statements in the General Council of the WTO or at the ministerial conference is not enough. Yes, it is good to make these speeches, but that is just the starting point. Considerable legwork has to be done to make sure that other developing countries come on board, join hands with India so that India, along with a large number of other developing countries, can collectively take their interests forward in negotiations. Let's not forget, even the developed countries join hands with their allies to push their interests. We have to do the same thing, but we have to do it more forcefully, more tactfully, more skillfully through formal and informal coalitions. That has to be done on various issues. The configuration of these formal and informal coalitions could be different, varying from issue to issue. But there's no denying the fact that if we do not take the lead, if we do not create these coalitions, it is very unlikely that we will achieve success at the next ministerial conference. So the mantra for India is simple. Create coalitions, join hands, create partnerships, and move forward to protect the country's interest. Right. Thank you, Professor Das, for, you know, taking out your time and explaining so well all these complicated issues. So as we approach the next ministerial in Abu Dhabi in February, I think the agenda will become more clear. So uh, at that point, we would love to have you back to have another round of discussions on what lies ahead. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Amiti, and thank you, Business Line, for giving me this opportunity of sharing some thoughts on the forthcoming ministerial conference.